Live from the internet, it's the Local Host Podcast with Mark Drew and Rob Dudley. Hello from the internet. We are your guides to various aspects of the lovely world of web development. Every month we shall get together and discuss an aspect of web development. We shall try to unwrap the subject using questions sent by you, the listener. That's right, we shall be answering your questions every month. You can contact us via Twitter at localhost.fm or email your questions to show at localhost.fm. I am Mark Drew, and stepping up to the challenge to answer these questions with me is Rob Dudley. Let's get on with the show. Hello. Hello, Rob. How are you doing? Hi, Mark. I'm good, thank you. How's things over there? Uh, fantastic. Very exciting to get started with the, with our first episode. First episode. This is it. Episode one? Uh, episode zero? Episode zero. Well, let's start counting from one. I don't want to start doing... Zero arrays here. <laughs> okay, so what are we going to be talking about today? So I've titled this episode Dr. Docker, I presume, and basically we're going to be talking about all things Docker and containers. Um, I guess we better start the show by saying WTF is Docker. Uh, let's talk about what is Docker. Oh, containers, the cloud, elastic, etc. So, Rob, do you want to fill us in what Docker is? <laughs> I thought you knew. I, knew, I know a little bit, but I thought I'd pass it okay, on to you. Right. I talked um, so uh, Docker um, is a, a way of containerizing your application, right? Um, so that we can uh, effectively deploy and run uh, the same application across uh, different machines with the same set of configuration and what have you. Um, I suppose the key takeaway um, has always been um, rather what the hell is Docker or what the hell is containerization. Mm. Um, how is it different from virtualized machines, VMs, virtualization? Yeah, I think we'll get into that. I think you, the best analogy I heard from this was, I don't know if you knew, if you step back in time to the 1800s, right, and you had a piano. Can you imagine a piano? Yes, I can. I'm trying to send a piano from London to, let's say, New York. So what will happen? It will come out of my house. Five guys would, you know, carry it across the street to a cart, I presume, uh, they'll log it onto the cart, they strap it down, and, and they'll basically have to take care to take my piano all the way to the States, to an apartment in New York. And there'll be various ways of moving it around, right? So there'll be people like sliding it up, being careful not to touch the keys and, and stuff like that all the way across the sea. Uh, and this obviously doesn't work very well because, for example, if you're exporting, I don't know, uh, coffee next to bananas, I don't know, <laughs> mainly... As you would, right? Because yep, they come from yep. warm climes. Uh, but the smell of coffee would go into the bananas or vice versa. So you have banana-flavored coffee, you know, because you'd have these sacks of coffee next to these, I don't know, punnets of bananas? What do you carry bananas in? Uh, uh, crates. Crates of bananas. That's more logical. Um, and then they, they came up with this idea of containers. Like, they thought, well, why don't we create this box that everything fits in is the same size, so it means that it doesn't matter if you're carrying a piano of bananas or coffee... You can put it all in the same size and you have the same equipment to carry it around. Uh, so if you imagine these big docks like Rotterdam or even the Port of London, you've got the same machinery to unload these ships. But you don't care what's inside the, the container. 
it can be a car, it can be a banana, it can be a piano. Uh, yeah. Or, uh, but you've still got the same equipment to move it around, rather than guys with straps and, and wheelie bins and uh, uh, various different ways of, you know, hooks for meat or things like that. Um, fun trivia fact, a container, for, uh, an actual container that is um, frozen is called a reefer. There you go. Oh, good to know. A refrigerated container. Um, so, taking that concept um, to forward to software, the whole idea is that you know, uh, sysadmins don't have to care what's inside the container. They can just deploy it because there is a standard way of deploying your application. Yeah. So, uh, presumably, or running to, it, I should say, to extend your your kind of metaphor, the the donkey cart with the piano on it might be like the zip file that contains all of your source code and assets, and it kind of works as a way of getting. Uh, getting your application around, but it's a faff and it's very involved and what have you. Whereas containerizing an application means that actually it can just be delivered, uh, picked up and run uh, without any fuss at all from um, any of the parties involved. Exactly. Uh, so that's kind of what Docker is uh, as a high level overview. Shall we get on with questions and see if we can delve deeper into the subject? I think we should. All right. Let's see where this takes us. It's your questions, it's your questions, it's your questions, it's your questions. So we had the same question twice from two different people. Well, they each submitted it once, and it's like, just why Docker? Well, why not? But... Uh, <laughs> And can we can we get the obvious one out of the way first? Um, because okay. it's new and cool. Um, it will oh, earn right. you hipster points, right? Um, this is full-on startup buzzword bingo aces. <laughs> right. And, and that's the important thing in web development at the, the end of the day. We have to have new and cool stuff. It's an important thing, right? right. Um, but... There is a reason that it's become new and cool, and there's a reason that it's it's risen from uh, pretty much um, obscurity um, into uh, you know common usage uh, around the web. There's a reason we're having this uh, this podcast episode. It's a reason it's our episode one. So, right. why are we talking about Docker? Why is it as popular now as it is? I th I think it's it's one of these pain points that we keep on solving. Right? Uh, there's various pain points in web development that that we solve like jQuery solved a whole bunch of problems with the web I mean now I know we've I don't want to get into the JavaScript episode yet um, but before then it was a real pain to develop and do things consistently and easily and one of the big pain points about deploying was well now with the cloud how am I going to deploy stuff that I'm doing on my machine and how am I going to deploy that then to EC2 which is a completely different environment so Docker is a way of being able to take away the, the detritus of, of, of applications and actually focus on my application and how I stitch these things together and there's a common way of stitching things together. So why Docker? Well, it's popular, as you say, and also it's the new way of deploying the stuff in this new uh, cloud-friendly uh, era, I guess. I think this is um, the big takeaway is there are two main touch points for me um, mm -hmm. and both of these have potentially been solved before in different ways and Docker takes a slightly different approach, containerization takes a slightly different approach. Um, so you're absolutely right, yep, um, being able to 
easily deploy in a standardized fashion and deploy across providers, right? Um, so I can take this, I can deploy it to um, AWS, I could deploy it onto uh, Google's cloud engine, other cloud service providers are available. Um, and exactly the same uh, information is flowing out of me, the same container config and what have you, and I don't need to do anything different. Really? The other thing that I absolutely love about um, Docker is I can also deploy into my development environment. Um, right. I've got total consistency between what I'm working on when I'm developing, maybe my staging environment and testing QA and production. And this is one of those things that people um, who um, perhaps undervalue this as a point have never been bitten by a difference in development and production environments. Okay. Uh, they will yeah. be at some point and it will hurt. Uh, and they will cry and think, why? Why didn't I listen to Mark and Rob when they told me that I could have used this to prevent that? Um, exactly. But yeah, so I think it's standardization and ease of deployment is absolutely brilliant. Awesome. Uh, I think, th and this actually brings up the new question, the next question, which is how does Docker compare versus traditional VMs? Because people might, so far might be thinking, well, you're talking about a VM, right? It's a whole machine that you've wrapped up, you know, how to start... Uh, these VMs that are, what, a couple of gigs big or something like that? Yeah, um, but is it, though? No. That's the it, thing. Is it a virtual machine with a fancy name and a, a cool icon? No, it's not. Why is it not? Is that a I, question for me? That's kind of a question for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> are you passing the ball over? Well, well, the VMs is basically a whole machine that you start up, right? Um, so, for example, on my Mac, I can have a Windows VM, I can have a Windows 10 VM, I can have a an Ubuntu VM all running at the same time, and they're all taking up a, a percentage of my resource, uh, which is not just what they're doing, but it is literally like I need to start up the whole kernel and, and allocate RAM to it and stuff like that. Uh, this is it, right? So a virtual machine is literally that. It's ring-fenced resources, so it needs a certain quantity of hard drive space, a certain quantity of RAM, and this is what you need to run the entire operating system. So those numbers are potentially quite big. Right. Yeah. And so with 32 gigs of RAM on my machine, I can probably run uh, four big VMs. Yeah, and however smart the kind of VM layer might be, the, the hypervisor might be at swapping this and managing it, fundamentally, you're pretty much limited to the resources you have divided by the number of machines you've got uh, or need to run tells you just how much resources they can have because they pretty much need it, they own it, they grab it, they keep it. Mm. Right, and so, uh, so how Docker com differentiates itself from this um, is that it's more like slightly it's like a process actually it's like a and the process is only going to be what you're running so what it does is it takes slices of the os so usually is for example um i was running one machine and that was um a whole bunch of images that make up the layers of that machine and we only run what we need to run does that make sense rob i think um i think it kind of does i mean to take it another way the example that i've always been given is um Virtual machines are whole machines. They have their own kernel, their own memory mm -hmm. management, and what have you. Um, what Docker actually basically does is it shares a kernel. Right. 
which means that what you're doing is you're sharing access to everything that the kernel does, memory management, um, network interface, and what have you. So rather than having to load all of this stuff every time for every machine, by sharing it, you only have to, to incur the overhead of, of running that once, uh, which means you get much better efficiency, you get much closer to the actual underlying um, hardware or interfaces, so potentially you get better performance. Yeah. Um, it does come at a trade-off, right? Okay. You'd get worse isolation. Um, right. And by and large, this is one of those problems that unless you are massively, massively concerned about the kind of high-level information security requirements of your application, is not a problem for you. But right. it bears stating the potential for Docker containers to kind of leak information and, and be accessed by other containers is there in a way that it's actually, it's, it's fairly heavily removed from virtualized machines. You know, they're, they're very quite tightly ring-fenced. But, as I say, this isn't a problem for 99% of the stuff that we do. Right. I mean, I think one of the, the, the things on a podcast we can't really show very well is how fast it is to start up a, a Docker container. Um, for example, if I, was, if I had a VM running Lucy, uh, the CFML engine of choice, it, it would take, what, a few minutes for, let's say, Ubuntu to start up? Um, and then to start up, you know, the, the uh, Tomcat, for example, right? Yeah. Now, I start up a, a Docker container with Lucy, and all it starts up is Tomcat. That's it. Straight up. And, and it's straight up. And it's actually, you know, weirdly enough, I don't know how which voodoo it does. It actually starts up a lot faster than it does on my host machine, which I still haven't quite figured out why. Um <laughs> Maybe I'm just giving, uh, assigning less memory or something to it. but um, And also the fact that Docker would be running on your machine in theory, right? Yeah. Um, you'd still have, even in the cloud, you'd have a EC2 instance that you're running Docker on, which your machines would be running on. So it would be your machine. So you're right that it, it kind of shares memory and and resources. And part of that, there is a security aspect. But at the end of the day, it should be running on your machine or your your elastic container, so to speak. That's it. Yeah, you should totally be um, you know, satisfied that the con the operating system or the machine that's running Docker, that's running all these containers, you control and you own. So, as I say, the security risks are minimal. I mention them only so that I don't get some infosec bod on Twitter, just like yeah, 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 data leakage. Right. Um, I think the other thing is that, and hopefully by this point we've made this clear, because this was one of the most confusing things to me when I first started um, using containers, and everybody was saying, oh, yeah, you can run containers on, on EC2. I'm like, well, hang on, wait, what? I'm virtualizing on a virtual thing? Right. Wait, uh, check your totem, dude. This is full-on inception. But it's not virtualization. Yeah. Um, so running Docker on a cloud service provider, running it on um, you know a virtual layer on your own machine if you need to, if you're on uh, Windows, Mac, not so much now, but in the early days, you know, Docker was Linux only, right? Um, right. So you'd often spin up a virtual machine, install Docker, and then profit. Um, but it's <laughs> not the same as the nonsense that you'd get virtualizing virtual environments within virtual environments. Yeah, that, that's just far too inception for me. Um, let's get on to the next one, which I guess is uh, from Dave Ferguson. Dave Ferguson is actually is from the CFR podcast, so it's a hey great Dave. podcast. It's a wonderful podcast. Hello, Dave. Hi, listen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he had quite a few questions, so I've put them all together. But one is, you know, he's intrigued by Docker and about environment-specific builds. 
so i think he was saying like you know like if you've got a legacy system that has that that the that your app depends on a specific environment how do you deal with that with docker well um what do you think how, how do you deal with it currently um right. i suppose would be not to answer a question with a question but i mean sure. docker provides you with um the ability to uh, fundamentally introduce a, a level of configuration and kind of scriptability to your deployment of your container um it also then goes on to allow you to extend that scriptability if you wanted to use something um, you know, like Ansible or Chef or Puppet or what have you. You can introduce all of those as additional layers on top, right? Um, now, ideally, if you're using containerization right and well, you should end up with something that you can just rerun or you can tweak to hit your different environment requirements. Now. Um, when we look at, say, for example, um, uh, let's take a, a cold fusion container or to flip it on its head because not everybody is using cold fusion. Sorry, Mark. Um, yeah, we could also look at, say, Python. Both of those systems have different approaches to how we manage the environment. Python's got a really solid um, system like virtual env um, that lets us basically pre-specify. Pre we install a couple of bits and it's it's kind of baked in. Cold fusion, we're probably going to have to do it more manually. You know, if we've got a system that needs to be deployed onto version Nine, which is totally out of support, but hey, um, or it needs to be deployed onto a specific version of Lucy, or it needs specific um, Java classes to be loaded in, or what have you. We're just going to script those into the deployment, um, so that when we build the container, when it first executes and spins up, those things are set up for us. Um, the nice thing about the Docker layering is that actually we can do that because when we tear that container down. Um, it's it it's it's clean. It's gone. Um, and then the next time we spin it up again, it does the same work items to configure our environment. Yeah, I think that's 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 a good answer. I think some of the questions that people come up with is, well, I install IIS, I install let's say Tomcat or Core Fusion, whatever. I don't want to be specific to that. Mm -hmm. Then I install MSSQL, and then I have to put this other bit of software that makes out my life better whatever a pdf converter as, a, as an example that I, that I hear all the time right but um i think you should split that out generally you split it out uh, i i see containers work well with, with other containers i don't want to get into containerception here but is for example with docker compose you can actually say this is my web layer which you know just d deals with the website stuff and this is my database layer and actually you can have a docker container for your database right and then you can have a load balancer layer or, or front-end web server layer, which just does the front-end web serving and just connects to the back-end. So you can define your environments much better, and they're reproducible because you can actually have um, you know, a load balancer in front of multiple instances of your, your application on your development environment. So you can test what happens in a load balanced environment, which, to be honest with you, you couldn't do that before. No. Oh, it, it took a while, right? It, it, it was a pain to set up. And then you'd get home, change Wi-Fi networks, and have to reconfigure it all. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. Right. So I think that actually that's a really core point, and it speaks to, I suppose, suitability, um, which I'm guessing is probably going to come up in a later question, but I'm kind of going to yeah. run ahead of ourselves here, uh, yeah. which is to say that actually if you've got this giant kind of big ball of mud, everything on one server application... You can absolutely do that um, straight into Docker. It will suck. 
Uh, the experience yeah. will be absolutely shocking. You will hate it. You will probably curse our names and never go back. Um, the reality is, yeah, you need to separate out your application along these logical layers. Where's my database? Where's my web? Potentially, where are my static assets stored? Um, you know, can I easily um, you know, uh, create persistent machines rather than those that are potentially a bit more um, uh, temporary or, or transient? And right. these are generally speaking fairly small changes that you can make. You know, maybe you have a, um, a web layer that just writes all of the uploaded documents to a specific folder. Fine, make that folder a network share. You know, mm -hmm. just mount it and have that on a different machine because then you've got flexibility and separation. Right. Here's here's. A, I don't want to put it throw a spanner in the works but one thing that blew my mind was that you use a docker container to map to the host drives yeah because then you can actually replicate that mapping all the time because you've got a container that has a definition and it's actually not heavy it's not it's not like another massive stack because you share layers between them um well, no and also going back to this thing that it shares a kernel the kernel that's running docker is also the kernel that's running the native file system so it's as quick to write back right as right. if you were writing on the local machine exactly Okay, let's go to the next question. Um, how does Docker fit into the development of our workflow? Uh, this is Dave Ferguson again. Well, you um, turn it through 90 degrees, and then you kind of give it a little shimmy, and then it just slots right in. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, actually, I, I set this up um, very recently for a client. So we, uh, we're moving to Docker for the whole environment, and they've got a very big, complicated environment. So different bits are going into uh, Dockerized situations, whilst we still re retain a lot of the um, legacy system, I guess you could call it legacy. Let's say co let's call it complicated more than anything else. Um, so, what we're doing now is I, I use it one uh, as a replacement to Vagrant. So we have the image which actually runs Lucy. That's all it does. It only has Lucy uh, configured in it. Um, and that points to a uh, volume on my machine, which is my development uh, folder, right? Yep. When we commit stuff, we then actually have a script that then goes, checks out our code, bundles up, uh, builds a, a container from the source code, and then commits that into the repo, right? And then we have another Jenkins job that then pulls it out, runs it, and runs the tests on it. So it fits in like three different places as well as the live environment. And this is kind of the point, right? So I have my dev environment that's identical to my test environment, which is identical to a production environment. Um, so it fits into various parts of it, I guess. Isn't is you know, it's actually like right from the core part of it as well. But there's two two things here. One is I'm running code that changes. In other words, I'm I'm mounting my local development folder. So with my, with my source code in a development environment, but in a test environment, I'm wrapping that up into a container, which is an extension of my original container. Does that make sense? I think. I think so. Yeah, we're we're approaching containerception. Um, but <laughs> no, I think that's pretty clear. I mean, I suppose the the other thing I would say, just because you started with, it's a replacement for Vagrant, uh, and I'm guessing that everybody listening has a vague clue of what Vagrant is. It's, okay. Yeah. You know, it's it's scriptable, redeployable, um, but it is virtual. Um, if you're using Vagrant, or even if you're using kind of some crappy homebrew VM where you're passing disk images around, you will actually find it much simpler to um, integrate Docker into your development workflow because you're already used to this idea that you have this kind of standardized container. The people I find 
who will struggle the most um, with implementing this are the ones who are actually just running the server on their own dev machine. You know, they've got um, right. iOS installed or they've got um, Apache okay. or whatever. They've got the, you know, language of choice in that current binary for that current operating system, whether that's Mac, Windows, Linux, whatever. Um, now, for those um, users, it's going to take a bit of work. You're going to mm. need to make a bit of a jump. You're going to need to change some habits. Um, and you're going to need to start thinking about actually, okay, how can I deploy this? How can I package my containers on commit? Um, all of this is good stuff, right? And it reaps massive additional benefits down the down the road, um, which I'm not going to talk about now because I'm pretty sure we have an entire podcast on some of them uh, right, coming right. up. Um, but yeah, um, it will mean that you need to get a little bit out of your comfort zone. Um, the benefits, however, are huge. I mean, the best example I can give you is um, a few weeks ago, um, and this really happened, right? Um, I uh, spilt a glass of water on my laptop oh dear yeah. and it, it went kind of fizz pop and i took it to the <laughs> shop and and the guy said yeah that's that's gone and i was like okay fine can i get a new one he was like yeah i can and because we're in jersey and jersey doesn't have an apple store and it takes uh, basically a millennia to get anything shipped over so i'm sat here thinking well great i've got to go to work i've got stuff to do and um because all of my um dev environment was containerized spinning it up on another spare machine that I just happened to have kicking around took about uh, 15 minutes. Wow. And, and, yeah. and that's, that's it, isn't it? <laughs> really? That's... Yeah. It was the most pain-free, painful situation I've been in from a work perspective. Um, so, you know, the, and again, this happens. You bring a new team member on board. You don't want right. to be spending half a day configuring their, their dev environment and getting all the packages lined up and then realizing that maybe some of the packages have been deprecated. Ugh. And, and they might not this. work for his machine, right? So like, yeah, there's a yeah. guy at work that runs Ubuntu and he's saying, run this system. Ah, oh, but I don't have the Mac drivers or whatever that that, that that needs. There's another aspect actually about Docker that I found really, really cool. So when you install Docker, you get the Docker daemon that kind of runs in the background. Docker D. Docker D. Uh, but also you've got Kitematic, uh, which allows you to browse different software. Mm-hmm. Uh, or search for software. And the great thing is like, I want to use MariaDB, for example. This is just a recent example, or Redis. Before, I would have to install it on my machine. And then, for some reason, even to this day, on this Mac, I happen to have a, uh, for, uh, um, I can't remember, uh, another login for another server that was for installing PostgreSQL. And I was like, why have you changed my machine? I only wanted to try PostgreSQL, and now you've actually changed my physical machine. Now you don't have to do that. You just go and Docker run PostgreSQL. There you go. You have a PostgreSQL instance running on your machine without having to install any software. Yeah, and all of this stuff is available in, I mean, there are a bunch of different kind of container directories, right? Um, so gone are the days of having to run three different database servers, four different cache servers, and what have you. There was a ridiculous point where I think I was running Redis, Mongo, um, Postgres, MySQL, um, MariaDB, um, and Memcached. And they were all in my development environment for different projects, and I was like, this is insane. I have got so many different ways of persisting data on this laptop. Um, yeah, so being able to say, actually, Docker for this project, I need a container that has this, and even down to this version of this database. Right, because you know, if you, you, need, have, you have that problem that you've got like drivers for one for the 
for one version of database, but your project is actually using a different kind of database because they happen to run it on on a well, yeah, certain version. The, the one that got me was different uh, versions. You know, we're running say um, MySQL 5.7, which I think right. is current. Is it 5.8? Either way, and there was actually a project that I was working on um, that we couldn't run it on 5.7. It needed some work. It needed some refactoring to get it to work on 5.7. Um, because of some changes and what have you, um, and yeah, basically it just—I could not run both projects at the same time on the same machine. It wouldn't happen. Um, so yeah, uh, being able to have a containerized 5.6 database, 5.7 database, and they come up, they're brilliant, they're happy. Fantastic. Let's move on. Let's move okay. let, on, onwards, McDuff. What do we got? Uh, you're going to love this question. Uh, does CFML work? How about Adobe Core Fusion and Lucy? This I assume this is in the context of containers, right? Right. Not, not, right. not more generally. <laughs> they do the, yeah. I think they've been proven to work. I think a couple of websites are running it. Yeah, just, um, just, a, just a few. Just a few. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I run it. The, the, the difficult one about um, Lucy has already got two um, containers, two images. So you can have Lucy 4 and Lucy 5. Uh, they're already on their GitHub. So github.com slash Lucy, you find the docker images i think it's called i can't remember lucy docker images and if not you can find them on kitematic i actually have my own versions in my docker hub which is kind of like a repository of all the images because i like to add like actually i i like to add mongodb because i use it quite a lot so i already have the extension installed ready to go you know uh so with lucy it does work with core fusions slightly it's actually easy but it's difficult to replicate for the world. So um, I was able to do an image. So basically when you do, what you can do is create your own image and say, all right, uh, I've started up Ubuntu, for example, right? Uh, and then you can actually download CoreFusion and install it on that machine because you can connect to that machine, attach to that to that container that's running. And you go through installing your version of CoreFusion on it. And whilst that container is running, you can then actually commit it, in other words, create an image of it, right, and save it locally. Um, I think the only problem with Adobe Core Fusion is doing licensing so you can put your images in somewhere public. I was uh, going to say, this is this has always been the problem with, um, uh, well, not always been, that's a bit harsh, but yeah, commercial <laughs> software and uh, containerization or even virtualization and redistribution is kind of a bit of a, a sticky point. Sure, but you yeah. can have your own repositories, right? Because uh, like Docker images are like version control, so I, I, sh I should point that out. That you can check them out, you can run them, do whatever, but you can also then commit them to your own repository, so yeah. you have your own thing, uh, your own version of the software. But uh, you can also have private repositories, like uh, AWS has uh, repositories in there, because obviously you don't want your software going out to the whole world. I think uh, most of the big repository suppliers actually give you the option to toggle that on or off. Right. So you um, could... Uh, the only problem was doing it as a public image for everyone to use. And that's just a matter of me talking to Adobe saying, hey, can I put this on here? There's no configuration changes. Um, and it's that redistribution problem. But apart from that, you just go and install it and then save it as your, as a new image and tag it as like, I don't know, Mark Drew's Adobe Cold Fusion 2016. And then you can just start it up and it'll be running. And then you can configure it, save the configuration, commit it and push it, push it to your, to your repository. Can I ask an awkward question? You can. 
Um, obviously, um, CF and Lucy both uh, JVM backed. Right. Um, and this might be about to go off on a bit of a tangent, so um, feel free to just kind of make a note. You can edit this out later. Okay. Um, JVM uh-huh. is already a virtual machine, right? Uh, kind of. Kind it's- of. Um, and we've already got the facility to package applications that run on the JVM. So I okay. suppose why would I look at using something like Docker when actually I can just have Tomcat already up and running and just deploy my WAR file straight into it? I've still got that standardized layer of stuff. Um, It's all still the same in theory, run everywhere, right? So playing devil's advocate here a little bit from my perspective, but Mm -hmm. for JVM-specific applications, Docker, justify yourself. (laughs) Well, uh, I can't talk about JVM specific apps because what you could do is actually have your your application already um, like an uncompressed WAR, right? Already deployed to Tomcat and you're done, right? Uh, And you're just running it within within the container. For stuff like Lucy, um, you can do a couple of things. One is uh, you can pre-compile all your code. I think you can do that with ColdFusion. I haven't done it myself, but you can already pre-compile a mapping and just say this mapping is compiled and it'll be nearly the same the only difference is is that lucy compiles on the fly and it has its own class loaders so back to your question is the jvm already compiled you can do pre-compilation on it and it'll be the same it'll be just hot running code rather than compiling code does that answer your question yeah kind of okay I, mean, I suppose the other thing is there are all of the other benefits we've already talked about that will still bite you in the ass even if you're running like a JVM based thing it's not run once run anywhere there are dependencies there are differences in operating systems file paths right. connectors drivers for databases and all of this all of which Docker allows you to actually enshrine and contain in a much simpler way yeah I mean I mean if you look at for example Lucy the the, the Lucy images that extends a Tomcat eight docker image which then extends the open jdk image which then extends you know um i'm trying to remember which one it extends down to the base ubuntu image i think it's either ubuntu or core right um yeah but that's really actually that's really really important um something you've just said there that we haven't made clear yet yeah you get extension you effectively get inheritance in your docker containers and you try to use it as much as possible as well, yeah, because totally. it means that you don't download new images, right? Yeah, and it also means that actually you get the benefit of upstream kind of tweaks and tidy ups and what have you, and they just come in naturally. And you can do all the things that you'd expect, like pinning versions and what have you. Um, but it does mean that you're not having to sit there and actually um, create your container from the ground up. You're not crafting this from the kernel up. You're saying, actually, this is where I'm starting. What do I need? Right, um, so you can say I'm starting from Tomcat because I'm writing a little Java app, um, and you know a, a JSP, and I want to run this JSP. So say I want to start from Tomcat, which actually comes from OpenJDK, as an example, or yeah. I want to start with Python, and Python needs whatever it needs. But you can actually just say I just want Python. That's all you get, even though you'll download a whole bunch of other images that then can be reused amongst other different containers and images. 
Yeah, and that's the thing, because then you can define your own kind of base image that actually already extends a whole bunch of this stuff. So you might have the, the Lucy base image that then an organization takes in, makes a few changes to, adds another layer, and they're only dealing with their changes to it, and they can distribute that internally or what have you. Uh, we kind of got a little bit off off point, but yeah. um, I think it was it was valuable stuff. It was good. It stuff. was good stuff. So now here's a tricky question. Uh, Ryan asks, "How about with Windows?" Mm-mm. Uh-uh. Well, actually, it okay. So you can run Docker on Windows. You can uh, run but, it on Windows, right? But what you'll be running is um, uh, a, a JVM, not a JVM, uh, a virtual box instance of Ubuntu, which will have Docker on it. Okay, why, 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 why is Windows and Docker, why, why are Windows and Docker not sitting in a tree? Um, well, actually, they will be. Okay, um, seriously. Let's, let's, let's answer the simple question first. Okay. Um, it comes back to the fact that Docker currently uses um, vir- uh, semi- para-virtualization or kind of kernel sharing um, technology that was originally invented for the Linux operating system. Right, mm-hmm. so you've got is it LXC? Either way, I'm a higher level kind of guy. Yeah, so so am I. But it comes down to actually when you take the kind of you 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 lift the bonnet, uh, lift the hood for our American listeners uh, on (laughs) Docker, and underneath that, what you've actually got is a bunch of Linuxy technology that are all to do with sharing kernel space in kind of um, safe jailed areas. Uh, Originally, Docker was only using one of these, which was Linux only. And the Docker team have been working really hard. They've extended it out. You can now choose between, I think, two or three different variants. But what they haven't yet managed to do is get a native Windows version of that kind of Linuxy kernel sharing thing. Right. Now, this, Although, I assume, is where Mark is about to tell me, well, actually, they are doing it, or they've done it. Yeah, they, um, they are doing it. They're doing a headless, uh, a UI-less version of Windows um, for exactly this purpose. Uh, I think it's in beta. Um, people are going to be shouting at me and telling me that I'm completely wrong and I've got the details wrong, but I'm a Mac guy, so I don't... Well, I tell you what, let's say this is one time when I will invite um, um, people to shout at us. I will say, actually, please, because this is an area that I don't know anything about. I I work on, uh, you know, our production stack is Linux, my development machine is Mac, and and what have you. Um, So it would be really good if somebody's got a bit more info um, on how Docker currently works on Windows and and how maybe they're using it, um, and, and if they know anything solid about where it's going then yeah um, get in touch ping us a tweet and what have you we can include that in the show notes um, the other thing of course is flipping it on its head um, can you run windows inside docker containers I think not oh, I think yeah. not as well for the yeah. same reason again we're sharing this kind of kernel yeah. slice and we I think come you can back do it on windows to- because I was looking at a docker instance of MSSQL for example because I wanted to sit, that would be like heaven for me, being able to run SQL Server headless on my Mac so that I can work on some client projects. But no, it only runs on Windows. Now that, again, I mean, this is realistically, we are approaching kind of uh, the apocalypse. We must be, <laughs> um, because I'm currently running on my Mac um, um, a, uh, this is a VM, this is not Docker, but it is running MSSQL on Linux. Right, that's a thing now. We oh, have yeah, that. Yeah. 
Yeah. So all of this stuff is kind of coming. Microsoft are catching up and what have you. Uh, but at the moment, I think it's it's pretty much safe to say that if you are a core Windows dev, if you're a .NET dev, if you're a, a SQL Server uh, developer, then at the moment, Docker is something that you should pay attention to, be aware of. But it's probably not going to work brilliantly for you just yet. Right. This is more for for the. But, but I mean, does it matter? <laughs> I mean. And, most of the time, I don't care that my application is running on Windows or, or, or on a Mac or on, on Linux. But then again, I'm working on on a JVM, I guess. But hmm. I suppose it also depends which way around you're looking at it. You know, can you install Docker on Windows? Yes, you can. Right. Yeah, you can reap all of these benefits as a Windows user, um, but it's on the understanding that you would have to be a Windows user working on something that doesn't require Windows on the server. Right. Yeah. Um, can you in, can you actually um, create Windows containers? Not so much. Um, right. Again, if anybody knows different, please, please, please let us know. And I guess what you could do is actually run your application on a, on a Windows server running Docker, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, which goes on to the next part. Does it integrate with IIS, Apache, or does it contain that part inside itself? Well, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> depends yeah. if you wanted to do that because actually you have uh, a container images for Apache so you have like a container that has Apache in it as we've said before is like you can split it out because why tie Apache to your application uh, most of these people uh, I'm, I can't remember which Dave this is it's not Dave Ferguson um, the other Dave the other Dave um, and the whole point is that you don't want to tie a Apache to itself. Like if you use Docker Compose, which is a great way to, to describe your environment, the whole environment, you can have load balancers in front of Apache load balancers or Nginx load balancers that then attach to other, to your actual application. So you yeah. don't need to integrate it inside it. You try no. not to, you try to you know, keep it as isolated as possible. And I think that, and again, this is uh, this is an opinion, although strongly held. Mm -hmm. um, probably the days of having this really tightly coupled relationship between your application layer and your web serving layer, and certainly uh, Apache, I'm, I'm looking firmly at you and um, you know the traditional LAMP stack PHP. Right. Uh, that would be a module that was loaded in with Apache. People aren't doing that anymore. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're just proxying it, people right? are doing it, but fundamentally they're either proxying it or they're using fast CGI connectors. They're using all of these different ways that you can decouple your web layer because it means you can scale it. It means that you can um, you know, move it up and down. You can swap it out. It provides better performance, better security, blah, blah, blah. Also, it means you can then use it in situations where you're using something like Docker and keep your layers nice and light. So you right. don't end up with this big ball of mud in your uh, container. And usually the big ball mod is because of the Apache the, the the web server trying to connect to your application, right? Yeah. These are the most of the questions I see in, in the, the Lucy group, for example, is how do I connect insert web server to Lucy? And most of the time I'm going, What do you need the web server for? No one is that, no one has actually answered that question to me. Like run run Lucy on port eighty, Tomcat on port eighty or run fine. Yeah does it you know is, there's no need for for a web server that does http serving pretty well it's you know? yeah i mean I, I i could make a point that i probably have a web server in production just to handle like the static assets and there's a bunch of other bits i can do right and yeah i know i don't have to have it but i would always want that additional layer also it means that i can do more flexible things in terms of spinning up additional application backend if i needed to scale out or but whatever. at least you're answering that question 
Well, yeah. not a lot of people can answer that question. It's like because that's how the stack is, right? Like, well, you've got to have a web server, right? We're doing web development. It's like you have a web server. You have a thing that's answering HTTP requests. Um, it and in the case of Lucy, it's a really solid stack. You know, in in the case of maybe some of the others, they they've gotten scared by that whole. This is a development server. Don't use this in production. Oh, right. Yeah. Right, the reality right. is actually a lot of the time you probably could. Don't, yeah. Don't though. Don't right. If you're a, if you're a Rails dev, you shouldn't really be running your your application on on Rails S. Um, <laughs> But there's no reason why you can't proxy Rails S. It's not brilliant, but it would work. Um, yeah. So anyway, the point is disconnect your web server from your application. Which leads us on beautifully onto Andrew's question. Uh, what are the options for auto-scaling? <laughs> well, this depends on what, what you're deploying it on, right? So uh, auto-scaling, like you, there is a load balancer. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, proxy. HA proxy. HA proxy, for example. You can just add that as a container and it'll auto it'll auto balance between your Guess it, that'll your auto balance. Will it auto scale? You know, yeah, I don't know about will auto scale. It, will it spin up additional Docker containers as needed? Right. Or? But they're so easy. Like for example with Docker Compose, they can be uh, spun up easily by doing like scale. Web equals however many instances. So I think this is where Kubernetes comes in and Rancher and other projects, like for example, in uh, AWS, you have the Elastic Container Service. Yep. Uh, which you can also put a uh, load balancing autoscaler, I think, in there. You or, can. Uh, I mean, uh, this is, I suppose, one yeah. of the things that I always get when people are asking about autoscaling. And this is the same whether it's VM or whether it's containers or whether it's just like boxes, mm -hmm. is that fundamentally autoscaling is actually quite hard and it needs a whole bunch of tooling to do it right. Yeah. Not least of which it needs your application to be auto-scalable, which most of them aren't out of the box. Um, but yeah, we wouldn't be able to talk about Docker without. My personal preference is um, that you will always have some kind of management system in production, right? Docker Compose is, is cool and it's groovy and if you want to get started, it's great. At some point, you're going to need to actually have something that manages all of the containers you've got running, keeps an eye on them, generally health checks and all the rest of it. I've been playing with Rancher, for example. And I've been playing with um, Kubernetes. Yeah, Kubernetes is the next thing I, to I, have a look at. Yeah, I've got no idea new... how you pronounce that. Um, it's, Kubernetes? It's crazy no. Kubernetes. Kubernetes. Um, uh, anyway, write in and tell yeah. us how you pronounce it. Please, please do. Yeah. Uh, in fact, don't write in and tell us how you pronounce something. Record. That's crazy. Just, yeah, yeah send us a, a wow file. Um, but yeah, so either way, both of these things offer you a whole bunch of different um, tooling around management and provisioning. Um, Kubernetes is Google's application. So this is actually, it's open source as well, but I think it's predominantly a Google project. Um, and this is fundamentally what you get on their container engine. Amazon have got their own thing. Uh, Rancher I haven't actually used, but Again, these will all have facilities to snap into kind of uh, load monitoring and auto-provisioning. They'll scale up, scale down, spin up, spin down. Um, and they'll allow you to do that across different Docker hosts. Um, so, you know, it's the options for auto-scaling are fundamentally exactly the same as they are for current virtualization, only you get more flexibility and you can fit more containers on a given host. I think this is a final question. Docker is a distraction for software developers. Discuss. Thanks, Simon, for that question. I don't think it's a distraction. It's something that you have to learn and then put it to the side, and just it just happens. It's the same thing as Vagrant was a distraction, I think. 
What I think it's an, it's an interesting question, not least to which, full disclosure, I know Simon really well. Simon's a, um, a really good software architect um, and really knows his stuff inside out and backwards. Okay. Um, Simon's a good guy, uh, knows his stuff. Um, and I suppose the question is, we kind of get used to the fact that we've got a lot of different tooling. We've got all of this DevOps stuff that's kind of coming at us. Um, you know, if, you're, if you're working in JavaScript, you've got framework changes, you've got all of this change and all of this tooling um, and what I would I suppose be interested in is is it easy to get distracted by the tooling in favor of actually making sure your software works right and, and is is well written and well architected to that I would say yeah absolutely if you're dicking about with containers and, and what have you but your software is still a part of crap um, you know you probably need to rethink your priorities right well, it depends what your job is as well and what you're trying to get. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that has changed over the, the last few years. Uh, I'm not even going to delve into the JavaScript changes because they're, they're weekly. <laughs> but uh, if we look at other stuff like NoSQL, like deploying uh, not on just on iOS and, 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 and Windows, but actually doing on in the cloud and having the ability to deploy and redeploy and redeploy very quickly, the, the deployment is not an issue. Uh, the other part of it is like Jenkins, CI, and now Docker, Dockerization and, and uh, containerization is sort of big topics that you should know about. There's a lot of stuff that changes all the time, but these are the big topics that you, you know you really should know about. Yeah, totally. Uh, um, not a hundred percent, or maybe someone in your company is doing it, or someone else is focused on the miniature of it. But as a developer, you should know how, how that's happening, right? Um, in the same way that you know you should understand how unit testing works uh, and all the rest of it, um, I suppose to answer the question, um, is it a distraction for a software developer who isn't at the level where they're concerned with deployment or they're working as part of a big team? You know, a junior developer just starting, should they dive straight in and learn Docker? Probably not. You know, actually, there are more important things for you to work on. Make sure that your your code is clean, you're working to decent patterns, you're not reinventing the wheel, all of this. Learn a bit about security, learn a bit about unit testing. But at some point, especially if you're part of a smaller team or kind of a mid to senior developer, this should definitely be on your radar. It should be something you know, um, you, you've maybe had a, a bit of an explore about. Um, it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. This is not a fad, not a flash in the pan. Um, so to that end, um, you know, be distracted by it. Just don't be distracted by it for, for too long. Um, you know, this is not something that's shiny and distracting. This is something that's serious and useful. And that's, I think that's a great way to stop this podcast. And on that note, thank you for having tuned in. Next time, we shall be talking about continuous integration. Continually continually and all this guys is so we're going to ask you to send your questions and comments to show at localhost.fm or you can tweet us at localhost.fm i've been mark drew and i'm rob dudley and see you next time